This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Kevin Wade is with me on the show talking Oregon football, Oregon football recruiting, uh, we are days away from the National Signing Day period. The first one, it's the third period now uh, in which prospects can sign with a school early on in December. Usually historically growing up for for myself, for Kevin, uh, for everybody really that's covered or followed college football recruiting, it's always been, you know, you, you get about five or six weeks after the regular season is over and then signing day hits. And that's no longer the case. Programs are adjusting, uh, and one of the biggest adjustments has been that most of college football's prospects for whatever class, this year being the 2020 class, are going to sign on that early signing day period. That is December 18th. It's a Wednesday uh, for this year, uh, so that's just days away. And so there's we're at the nitty-gritty, Kevin, for where we're at in college football recruiting because – Oregon and every other school across the country are trying to put basically their finishing touches on their major chunk of their recruiting class. Yeah, it's it's kind of impressive over the this is year three over the past few years of how many kids have decided. I think the first year there was a lot of hesitancy. And I think the, the thing that stu- stood out is that it's not like there's any major note like major negative to signing early, really only coaching changes, but because of the early signing period after year one, we've seen that really all the major coaching changes. No one's waiting to fire a coach unless there's uh, for-cause circumstances until after because the new signing period has just changed the way schools operate. So you're seeing more and more kids sign early. And and looking at, from an Oregon perspective, I think – most of Oregon's class is going to sign on Wednesday, uh, and it's and it puts Oregon in a position where uh, they now have to figure out who are going to be their final targets for the final month of recruiting. Because uh, keep in mind, there is a dead period that will hit following the early signing period on the 18th. Uh, it's about a month long. Uh, this allows prospects to enjoy Christmas or the holidays, winter break, uh, it also allows college coaches to, to prep on their bowl games. And, you know, for teams like uh, Oregon, who are are playing late into December or early into the new year, January 1st for the Rose Bowl, uh, or the teams that are in the college football playoff, it gives them a little bit of a breather so that they don't get uh, cut short of some recruiting days that creates a, an, an advantage for other schools. So there's going to be a dead period here. Uh, Oregon staff will continue to recruit in terms of evaluating prospects and whatnot, but they'll have a clear eye of where things stand uh, for that second signing period after the 18th. Now, what happens before the 18th, uh, that's where things can get 
really fluid. And we've already seen it happen this week with uh, Avante Williams, a four-star safety out of Florida, Stanford, Florida. Uh, he gave a verbal commitment, I think, first uh, among all 2020 prospects right around this time last year is when he it, committed. It big surprise. I mean, yeah, had yeah big, big surprise. And now he is decommitted. He's opened things back up. Where Oregon goes from there is, you know, a couple different directions. I think Oregon definitely will will remain a school he's interested in, but being from Florida, um, you you could see the Florida school, Florida, Florida State has a new head coach. Miami is his local school. Uh, there was some some Georgia interest, uh, and it's depending on what Georgia does with a, a handful of their defensive back prospects, I think really makes things interesting for Avante Williams and for Oregon going forward because Oregon is looking for more defensive backs. So it definitely has a kind of a chain effect. Uh, but this was a guy that, I mean, he was the number two high, second highest rated prospect in Oregon's class. I think he checks in like 55th in the nation on 247 sports. So um, a, a big loss, but something that I think a lot of people kind of were expecting earlier in the year, just kind of surprised it dragged out this late. Yeah, that's and one in which it was always when he committed, it's kind of like, whoa, like that, where'd that come from? How is Oregon going to hold on to him? And then it turned into, can Oregon keep him? Uh, are they going to be able to look like where they're able to, to keep him committed? And then it, and then he started showing up at, at Florida or he went to Florida State or he went to Miami or he went to Georgia for other visits. And it, it became clear it was kind of one of those. Well, is Oregon going to be able to hold on to him for the entirety of his commitment? How will things change uh, if coaching changes happen and, and all that stuff uh, plays out? And, and could he maybe flip somewhere else? And you know, fa- you know, long ways away from home. You know, what's the family going to going to think when you know it becomes December and it's oh boy, is he going to be able to? Uh, withstand, you know, that far of a distance. I think, you know, those were all things that we were discussing throughout the recruitment. Um, I think there was certainly a point in time where you felt like, hey, maybe this is going to stick. Maybe this, this is going to be something in which, uh, Oregon holds him. I mean, there was at one point some optimism that there, there wasn't going to be a a departure from, uh, Avante Williams, but lo and behold, here we are, uh, He's now decommitted. Oregon has to go out and find uh, another safety if if they want to. Um, that's going to be, oh, I, I think, the ultimate right question. They've got they've got Jared Greenfield committed and a JUCO safety and Bennett Williams committed, a former uh, freshman All American, right? Uh, Bennett Williams. So I think I think they it, it's a position where yes, you don't want to lose a top player like that, but it's a position where you do have two guys that are very capable coming in and guys that the staff really likes and really targeted from the get go. So it does stink to lose a guy like that, but there are other commits at the position. Yeah. And that's it. it, Oregon has done a good job of stockpiling some talent. Um, One of those players though, that, that they've done stockpiling the, the, the talent is Miles Slusher where that's another safety, although he's being recruited to play boundary corner for Oregon, he has the ability to play safety. You know, where does he land? That's that's another one that we're kind of tracking. Slusher is 
you know, was at UCLA this past weekend for an official visit. I think he's made an official visit uh, to Nebraska previously. Uh, Arkansas is trying to get involved there as well. Uh, can Oregon hold on to Slusher? That's another one. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if they if they can hold on to him. Now, uh, trust us on when we say this, Oregon coaches have been across the country, whether it's for uh, going to award shows. You know, Herbert's had one in New York. Uh, he's all, he was also honored in Atlanta. Penny Sewell recently won the Outland Trophy. So Oregon's had multiple coaches, uh, crystal ball included, uh, at those awards. But it's also been a point in time where, you know, because Oregon missed the Pac-12 championship game, or they were in the Pac-12 championship game, they missed a week of evaluating and being out on the road. Now granted, they're going to take that every time. Uh, but they have to play catch up a little bit. And Crystal Ball and his coaching staff have basically been living in an airplane uh, all week because they've been across the country visiting guys. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see, like, kind of the, the progress of where they've been popping up here and there. I mean, they were in Atlanta yesterday, but then flew across the country to get to to Arizona. I mean, they visited Braden Swinson, one of the defensive line commits, and then flew across the country after the award show to get to see Keely Ringo. And we've, we've seen Dante Manning's been visited by Oregon's coaching staff. A majority of their commits uh, have been there. Um, they're, they're going across the country looking uh, to, to solidify guys and include, make sure that, that their prospects that are committed remain committed. Uh, and, and looking at the players that are going to potentially be the ones that help shape the narrative of, of this class, uh, where it finishes. Um, they're seeing just, you know, they're seeing Justin Flo, a five star recruit this week, uh, Friday actually, uh, prior to his official visit to USC. So, you know, they're, they're dotting their I's, they're crossing their T's, they're making sure that they've seen everybody that they can. And I, I have to say, it's pretty darn impressive to see how many people that they've visited uh, in short in such a short time period. Yeah, it, I mean, just racking up those frequent flyer miles if they're not flying private, which is, <laughs> I think, just kind of... I mean, after the Pac-12 Championship game, you saw them get on the planes. And by virtue of a lot of the assistant coaches being able to hit guys last weekend up until Sunday, they now get a... The coaches can go in once a week, and the head coach right. only gets one visit. So, like, uh, for Braden Swinson, Joe Salavea made the trip out east to go visit his defensive line commits right after the Pac-12 championship, knowing that, hey, I'll get a second visit the next week. Jim Mastro did, is doing the same right now, and he's making those second rounds with the guys he visited um, following the Pac-12 championship. So it's interesting to see how much ground they've they've carried over the past week, I think, as you said earlier, being in the Pac-12 championship, yes, you lost the week of recruiting on the road, but you get to bring a you get to bring a Pac-12 championship T-shirt everywhere you go. You're wearing that proud. So, yeah, they've definitely they've definitely uh, stressed that uh, being a you know being Pac-12 champs and 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 having that be a reminder wherever they show up. Um, with, especially with last seen, night. Yeah, especially last night. You, you you show up with say hey sorry I couldn't make it to your house I was busy seeing one of our players win the Outland Trophy uh, or Justin Herbert winning the Campbell Trophy so you can not only be one of the top players at your position on the field but you can also be the top academic player in the nation which I think is another major selling point for the Oregon program that 
it's pretty impressive the Ducks have picked that up with two very special players. All right, now let's look towards positions of need. Uh, where does this class finish going into the final weekend? I mean, obviously we know there's a lot, uh, you know, some high-profile names, whether it, it be Sue, uh, whether it, whether it be Justin Flo or Keely Ringo or Dante Manning, uh, there's also a couple commits that they're, you know, to other schools that Oregon's working on. Um, most important need for this class right now, uh, I, I find it, it has to be on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's been kind of this. The, the theme of this class. It, there's not a lot of offensive guys. Yes, they're bringing in five offensive linemen, but the offense is pretty young. They've had a lot of guys redshirt the past few years. Defense, you're seeing some key graduations, and you're going to see some key graduations the following year, so it's important to get guys in the program for at least one year, especially in the defensive backfield. But then with a prospect like Justin Flo, you could really beef up your your front seven, especially with Troy Dye graduating. Yeah, that's finding a replacement for Die is going to be important. Um, maybe that's Noah Sewell. Maybe that's a guy currently on the roster right now. Um, or maybe it's another inside linebacker that got committed. But you, know, you look at Justin Flo and just the capabilities he has, really feels like that could really be a difference maker for this program and for this defense uh, in in the years to come for, for Oregon. Now, um I also think there's going to be some – there's also an importance of finding some secondary help just because you've lost Avante Williams. Brady Breeze and Nick Pickett are both going to be seniors next season. Thomas Graham, Diamond Lenore will have decisions to make. They could be gone as as early as this year uh, after this season. Uh, but even if they if they come back, they're seniors. Uh, you, you've also got Javon Holland, who's a safety on the roster, and, and he could be gone after next season because he'll be draft eligible. Um, so in, in about a year or two years time, you can see your entire secondary turn over and have to replace your, your top five or six guys in that group. And so finding, you know, finding some help there is going to be important. Even though you've got Melkale Wright, even though you've got Verone McKinley, two freshmen that are in the secondary right now playing extensive minutes, you, you need to find a couple more. Yeah, I think that's going to be the key. And with two the nation's top two uncommitted cornerbacks in Keely Ringo and Dante Manning uh, kind of coming down to the wire. It's going to be, it's going to be really important to watch those two prospects. But as we've noted on the site, those two guys aren't announcing on signing day, which I think might put duck fans, keep them a little antsy and keep it extended for another two weeks or two and a half weeks after signing day. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin audibles podcast with Matt Prem, Kevin Wade. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. We're talking recruiting. Uh, it's it's that time of year uh, where everything is recruiting, 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 and then a little bit of team, a little little bit of team, but a lot of focus on recruiting. Now, where does this class finish? Um, how many guys does uh, Oregon want to to finalize? You've been keeping track all year of the scholarship tracker uh, t- to see the roster makeup of this team. This year and next year and two years, three years, four years down the road. And it really feels like in the last week or so, the number of spots available in this class is, has really been pretty, pretty fluid. Yeah. So we, we posted um, on the site that we're expecting some of the current commits not to sign with Oregon. I think Peter Law, too, is a guy that I don't expect to sign in December the December signing day, we'll see what happens with him. So that kind of brings the number of commitments down. If there's more decommitments on on the roster, which we we previewed during our last podcast, um, kind of it'll be interesting to watch and see how that uh, affects everything. But you see, you saw Darian Felix transfer out earlier this week. Um, it looked it looked like the Ducks could have only taken maybe 23 possibly 24 about a month ago. Now you're like, okay, well, there's going to be room. There's more space on the roster to take a class that looks more like a full 25 and then potentially go find a graduate transfer or another transfer through the transfer portal. So there's going to be a lot more room. I think there's room for at least four more guys as it stands right now. Yeah, it's it's something that looked like, how are they even going to get the 20, 21, 22 now it, it's possibly looking like they could they could land a full complement of 25 players uh, in this signing class. Now, who are those players that they sign? Um, that's going to be up for debate of what's available for them, who's available, who's really looking at Oregon hard. Uh, I think I feel pretty confident in saying maybe I'll I'll spill a little bit of a VIP tease that I've got on the site right now. Um, you can tell me if I'm being overzealous or not, Kevin, from what you've heard, but I feel pretty confident in saying there's a, th- that Oregon's either going to sign another five-star recruit or they're going to get a guy that's borderline five-star in, in Dante Manning. I, I just, I, I, yeah, I feel I, like I there's going to be, there's going to be one more like truly big time difference maker commit that happens for this class. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think this class, where it sits right now, what the coaches are doing, just kind of reading the tea leaves, that, that's definitely the feeling I'm getting and what I'm hearing, that there's going to be some excitement for Duck fans over the next few weeks. As I said, the, the two cornerbacks are not announcing on signing day as of right now. Uh, but read the tea leaves, and that's kind of where you, you end up. Uh, that this class isn't done, and... One thing that to add to the kind of scholarship number math is that Mario Cristobal has stressed throughout the year that he really wants to have 55, almost 60 players out of the 85 scholarship guys that are 
ready to play at any time. And the Ducks, you look at their competitive games, they were only playing about 50 guys. So you can see that there's still room to grow. And so they're going to want to take, with those last few spots, the right type of guys. They're not just going to take flyers just to take flyers. They're going to make sure that they're using their 85 scholarships on guys that are going to be contributors. So looking at where things stand right now, I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, that's a big point of they're, they're not out here just take guys to take guys. Like they, they will sit and they will wait and not, not sign a guy if that means that they can keep a scholarship and sign a five star player next year because they're like crystal ball has done a really good job. I think of being able to manage the roster so that they are prepared for anything that may pop up whether it be a grad transfer, whether it be a transfer via the portal, or maybe it's a newcomer that shows up in the prep rank saying, hey, all of a sudden I want to come visit or I want to give you guys a good look, uh, and they have the room to do that. You know, They're not going to just take a guy simply to take a guy. Um, look at last, last signing period. They had four open spots essentially right. after the last signing day, and so they went out and got DJ James, a guy that they were able to hold – they got to commit – and then hold on when Alabama and Auburn came. Uh, a kid from Alabama turned down the two local in-state schools to go to Oregon. And he, he played extensively this year. The same with Jamal Hill out of Georgia, another guy that a lot of SEC programs were going after. And they also got Christian Williams. So three guys. And then they, they used the portal for Jawan Johnson, the Penn State transfer, who, in my opinion, he, he – was the difference for at least one game this year, if not? Yeah, I mean, he was. You 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 cannot you can clearly say that he was um, one of the the most impactful recruits that Oregon signed last season. Whether that be uh, because it's it's a transfer or a high school prospect or a junior college player, he was one of the most impactful players. That they assigned now um, against USC and Washington State. I mean, those two games right the games. there. Yeah, he was the pivotal player. I mean, that final drive. Yes, Camden Lewis made the kick. Yes, Justin Herbert made the throws, and there were some great running back performances. But those pivotal catches were on the backs of John Johnson. So I think those are the kind of guys that Mario Cristobal are like. Hey, we need to find use our spots wisely, not just take a guy to take a guy. Exactly. Now, who Oregon? Um, goes out to replace. We also need to discuss Marcus Arroyo. Um, he has left Oregon. He will now become the head coach at UNLV. As we're recording this press con- this this podcast, his press conference of being introduced as head coach uh, is, is ongoing. So we'll get more out of that as the day goes on. But there's a couple things that need to be figured out first and foremost. Uh Will Marcus Arroyo coach Oregon in, in the Rose Bowl? Uh, and I, I, I wonder though, like, does Oregon want him to? Does Oregon need him to? That, I think that needs to be one of the first questions that you ask is, does Oregon want him to coach the bowl game if, if he's available to do it? I, I can get it from both sides. Like, hey, we want to win this game. It's important. He was part of our team all year, but then, Two, it's also, we gotta see what we have, we gotta see what we can do, because he's not gonna be there next year. So, do you say, 
Do you say, hey, let's let's see what our other coaches can do if they haven't already made an OC hire? I doubt a, a new OC uh, or even quarterbacks coach could come in and be that quickly a, a factor with the team. But you kind of have to gauge is is he necessary, and do we want to see what we have currently on staff? Who replaces him? That's going to be up. That's going to be an interesting one. Um, I think there's a various different avenues that Mario Cristobal could go to uh, to replace him. He could look in house. You know, does Oregon say, "Hey, like we're gonna ha- we're gonna have uh, a guy like Jim Mastro become the offensive coordinator"? Uh, he could also maybe look at uh, a Bo Knight and say, "You know, we're gonna bump him up to maybe co OC with Mastro." And hire a quarterbacks coach, uh, or does Crystal Ball go outside the program, uh, and or or maybe he elevates Snake Costa from you know analyst who has coached quarterbacks before uh, up to the head coach you know to an assistant coaching position. Um, maybe that happens there. Uh, the one thing or, with his job that stands out to me is that. It's going to be a top 15 program coming back next year with a lot of power on both sides of the ball. It's a very desirable position that I think a lot of up-and-coming coordinators are going to be throwing their name out there for. Yeah, that's the thing is that um, he's also going to have to look outside the program. And outside the program, he's going to generate a ton of interest, whether that's from – current college coaches at the FBS level or current college coaches at the FCS level. Uh, maybe it, maybe it's even an NFL. I mean, we've heard NFL names, you know, pop up as possibilities for Oregon. Um, I think that's certainly one that you have to consider. Uh, does Oregon go and, and, and find some, uh, pro, you know, coach that, that can help them uh, from the NFL? And does that timeline impact anything? So, you know, I, I think there are, it's very safe to say there are a ton of options and Oregon has a lot of different directions that they could go in because right now among all their on field coaches, you're allowed to have 10 assistant coaches that can coach on the field plus four GAs of those 13 guys that are still currently on the staff right now. None of them have college coach or NFL coach experience coaching the quarterback position. I mentioned Nate Costa. He is not a guy that is currently an on-field coach. He is an analyst for the Oregon football program. Therefore, he's not allowed to work with the players. He's not allowed to take part in practice. He helps Oregon's coaches in an off-field role, whether it's scouting, game planning, uh, what have you. He's administration. He, he's not allowed to do on-field coaching. So you could elevate him, but anyone else on the staff, they don't have anyone that has experience coaching quarterbacks. So if they make a hire, this person has to have quarterback coaching experience or has some kind of trait that relates to that. That's going to be the important thing. So, you know, that hot new receiver coach that, that everyone ha- you know, wants to hire to become, you know, their new offensive coordinator, Oregon can't hire that guy. Uh, if they want to present a strong case to any elite quarterback to come out and come play for Oregon because they got to have someone to coach the position. That's that's something that people aren't 
I don't think are, are thinking of is that this guy's got to be someone who can coach the position, not only just run the offense, if they want to make him the offense coordinator. Yeah, I definitely agree that you you need to find a, a quarterback's coach. But the good thing to make the job a little more attractive for some of those better candidates, you've got Tyler Shuck already on the roster, a former top 150 quarterback recruit. And then you got Jay Butterfield committed. Right. And I know you did a an interview with him earlier this week, but you've got two. And then Cale Millen as well, the son of a former NFL quarterback. So you've got some talent on the roster to work with. It's not like you're coming in and having to scramble to find Absolutely. your guy. And I think the way Mario Cristobal runs this program, even though Marcus Arroyo is gone and kind of had some of his marks on the quarterback recruiting, I think that there's not going to be major changes to what a Oregon quarterback looks like. I think once they kind of realized what they had in Justin Herbert and kind of developed the scheme, I think a lot of that is going to go forward because if you put Justin Herbert right next to Tyler Shuck, right next to Kale Millen, right next to Jay Butterfield, all very similar type of guys. Yeah, they've, they've got a skill set that they've got in place. And they've, like you said, they've got some quarterbacks on roster or coming into the roster, uh, that are going to simply put generate a lot of interest from, from some of the best college coaches across the country just because they've got talent and it's Oregon. Look, the reality is, is this is still Oregon. Oregon still is a big name school. Um, they are, it's, it's a launching point for many coaches and their, and their profiles as, as a coach, whether they want to be, uh, a quarterback's coach going to an offense, uh, offensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator to become a head coach. You know, like you come to Oregon, you have success at Oregon, you're going to more than likely have opportunities at the next level, uh, of your career, whether that's, uh, as a coordinator or a head coach or whatever. You're going to have your chances, and so this is going to generate uh, a ton of interest from coaches across all levels right now for, for, for football. You see, now Mario Cristobal, I think the biggest thing about Marcus Arroyo getting the UNLV job, I think it's a statement about Mario Cristobal, and like he's always said he he wants coaches to do the best for them, and he'll help them get jobs, and I think that's looking at where Oregon is right now, well, now he's gotten a, one of the coordinators a head coaching position. Yep. And so I think that's just, that's a huge step forward where, you know what, some, some head coaches are kind of like, how dare you go play for, or how dare you go take over another program in the same conference? I know Marcus Royo is going to UNLV as his next step, but it says, hey, if you want to be a head, if you're an uppercomer and you want to be a head coach someday, the path is there. And I fully expect... Andy Avalos in the next, but in three years, will be a head coach somewhere. Just the way he acts, the way he talks, he he definitely looks like he's being groomed to be a head coach. Yeah, it's they're certainly uh, projecting. You know, he's a hot name. We'll we'll see where it's going. Uh, and if you know he becomes a head coach, whether it's at the FCS level, Power Five, Group of Five, whatnot. But I agree that he's he's going to be a head coach at some point. It's just a matter of when that happens, uh, and when it doesn't, um, or when it, when it does happen. So, uh, lots to get to. We're covering recruiting. We're, we're covering coaching. Um, we're, there's lots to, to, to monitor in terms of who Oregon brings in for official visits, who signs next week on December 18th, 
How does that, how does Oregon search for a new offensive coordinator impact, uh, the, the class? If it does or if it doesn't, should it? I don't think it really will, um, in a negative light at least. Uh, but lots, lots to cover on duckterritory.com. Highly encourage you guys to check it out. Uh, give us a run. Feel pretty confident. Uh, you'll like the product that we put out. So for Kevin, myself, hours, we've had three yeah, interviews with prospects. I mean, you can't, I mean, that's just, there's a lot of good stuff on the site right now that you definitely want to check out. Yeah. We, we've got insider pieces coming, uh, visit reports, all of that on the site right now. Uh, and you can get on for just as do- for $1. That's all it costs for you to get on for your first month. So Finding check it out the Rose for $1. Can't be. Yep. For Kevin Wade, myself, Matt Frame, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.